Every business comes to life through its service experience. Your business success depends on whether your customers are loyal to you. That's where real value and profit is created. Great companies ubiquitously have great customer experiences. A thin red line divides those that invest and consistently deliver what their customers need and those that fail and get disrupted. In competitive and challenging times, leaders need to double down on their customer experience. Learn and grow the value you create. Grow your success. Be on the right side of that thin red line. This is the CX Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and customer experience guru, public speaker, and author. Your business success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to the Customer Experience Guru. I'm Eric McCroskey, your host, and today I'm incredibly excited to have with me Louis Sancia, who's an exceptional operational leader, probably one of the best operational leaders I have ever met. Uh, he has started his, his career across the airline industry, uh, led some pretty significant transformations in terms of customer experience and growth at both Hawaiian Airlines and more recently WestJet. He's currently an executive vice president as, at FMT, uh, Federal Marine Terminals, uh, an incredible career spanning Canada, the U.S., across three different airlines, and now with Federal Marine Terminal. So, Louis, welcome. Welcome to the show. Great to have you with me. Eric, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So, first, I, I'm very curious about uh, a little bit in terms of your career. You started out in labor relations, uh, similar to me, where I started more with a legal background, and then you went into operation and, and became a pretty exceptional operational leader with great connection with your people. Tell me a little bit about how, how that transition came and what piqued your interest there. You know, Eric, it's uh, you're right. And I went into labor relations. I actually started off in uh, national museums. So uh, in uh, Ottawa, the uh, Museum of Civilization. So uh, for for the, you know, if, if there's anybody in the U.S. listening to this, it would be the equivalent of the Smithsonian I was the head of labor relations, uh, and one day I saw this uh, posting for a job, um, and uh, I didn't even know it was Air Canada. I applied for it, and um, you know, a couple of weeks, well, about a month later, I ended up uh, getting the job at Air Canada, making the move. And you know, I was just shocked by the by the kind of the the, the climate of labor relations and how challenging it was. Uh, you know, uh, from day one, I think my first day on the job, the first thing I had to do was lay off all the flight attendants because the pilots went on strike. Um, <laughs> wow. so it was a bit of a baptism by fire. And um, but at the time, I had kind of this innate uh, internal customer focus. And I had a great vice president uh, of in-flight. Um, I was basically he was my internal customer. Mm -hmm. And um, he gave me the opportunity. I, I, I was able to see the operational side of the business. Um, and he gave me an opportunity to move over uh, from labor relations to the operational side. And I'm more of a hands-on. You know, my personality is more hands-on. And so it appealed to me. Um, I wasn't, uh, the labor relations were so acrimonious that, you know, I wasn't certain that's what I wanted to do uh, for the rest <laughs> of my career. Um, and so the minute I had the opportunity to touch the operations and, you know, go out on airplanes, uh, go on to the, uh, you know, work in airports, 
um, I was hooked and, um, and, and it started from there. That's phenomenal. So, so then I want you to touch a little bit on, on your journey at Hawaiian Airlines. So, so your story there is pretty exceptional. Um, if we wind back the clock, this is an airline that nearly went bankrupt, nearly stopped existing. Uh, it's, it's main competitor between the islands at the time, uh, shut down. It was a regional operator. And when you came on board, you, you had the ability to make that not only a winning national carrier, uh, but even an international carrier. And I had a chance to, to, to fly a couple of times on Hawaiian Airlines while, while you were in key roles there and truly can say that it was a very different carrier. So can you, can you tell me a little bit about your journey and what you really learned there about uh, driving that growth uh, from regional to international and national? Well, and I'll tell you, Eric, the first thing that I learned is, um, again, I have to credit Air Canada because Air Canada had been going through so many changes that, um, you know, often when there's kind of this chaos and there's, uh, you know, uh, things are up in the air, there's lots of opportunities. So I did three different jobs that, that really allowed me to have the opportunity to go to Hawaiian. And that was, as we talked about operations, it was uh, scheduling uh, labor relations and also managing crew bases. So that's the that that's what um, got me to a smaller carrier like Hawaiian, where they don't have kind of the uh, you know the growth to be able to have all these positions supporting um, the airline. So once I arrived at Hawaiian, I'll tell you my first lesson. And again, I was you know obviously a young manager, a young executive, a, a young executive um, is that. You know, up until that point, I thought that managing through your employees was a bit of a cliche. You know, um, it, I, I was more used to a kind of a top down approach. Right. And this is, you know, uh, you're talking about 20 years ago. So there's been a lot of evolution at that time. But Hawaiian clearly had a culture where it was uh, servant leadership. Uh, mm. It was uh, managing with your people. Uh, and you basically, uh, you know, that culture, uh, you couldn't, you couldn't do it any other way. And, um, uh, and I loved it. I thought, you know, at first, uh, like anything else, when you are coming from, in my case, I was coming from a different country. Uh, it took a while, uh, you know, it, it was kind of, you know, for people to get used to me and I clearly had to get used to the culture there. That was probably one of my biggest adjustments. I'm sure. But at the time, Hawaiian, you know, had was coming out of bankruptcy and it was more of an administrative bankruptcy. Um, you knew that they were going to be successful because they had just uh, refleeted essentially and had brand new seven one sevens and seven six sevens. And it's the time in history in the islands where um, uh, most mainline carriers were no longer just typically just flying to Honolulu. And then from there connecting their guests to the neighbor islands Right, uh, because of the new aircraft types, they were starting to fly directly into the neighbor islands, and Hawaiian was well positioned to be able to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And as you move forward a little bit, um, you know the airline industry. I've always, I've always, and as you know very, very well, if you stand still, you're dead. You cannot stand still. You constantly have to be in kind of growth mode, or right. you have to be in merger mode. And uh, in Hawaiian's case, uh, you know, we basically decided to uh, have a huge uh, expansion internationally um, to be able to diversify the operation because you were, you know, at the time, 40% of the revenue came from inter-island service and 60% of it came from 
um, uh, uh, mainland mainline service, which was West Coast U.S. into Hawaii. Um, and uh, if you fast forward with the expansion, um, and people are always surprised to hear this, that only about 20% of the revenue was coming from uh, Inner Island. Uh, and we grew, we grew 40% of it was now uh, to the mainland U.S., and then 40% of it was international. So you are protecting and growing your business based on whatever's happening in, in the marketplace. Hmm. But making that change was critical because, you know, I don't think there's as strong a brand as Hawaii itself. And right. when you ask the crews, and, and again, don't forget, Hawaiian was, was created in 1929. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you had, you know, their, their flight attendants, uh, customer service agents, uh, people that have been there for 30, 50 years. And when you ask somebody and you say to them, you know, listen, what you're doing is fantastic, but we have to do things differently because now we're going to be flying into Japan and our plane is going to be mostly filled with Japanese guests. Yep. Their expectations are different. That was a unique, you know, we really had to step back and think about how we were going to do that because you're trying to reframe all of the expectations. Uh, one example, I used the Hawaiian example when I was at WestJet mm-hmm. um, because WestJet was actually a bigger airline than uh, Hawaiian, but going through a very similar transformation. Exactly. Right. And the example I used there was a very simple one. Um, you know, WestJet was kind of a very fam- uh, familiar airline. They're very familiar in terms of culture, how they interact with their guests. Right. And there would be times where you would have a flight attendant literally um, acting out or singing out the uh, safety demo. Um, hmm. And what I explained to the crew <laughs> at the time, it, it's very charming when you're when you're flying. You know, let's say you're flying from Calgary to. Uh, you know, you're going to uh, Saskatoon or right. you're going from Calgary to, uh, you know, somewhere in the U.S. But when when you've got international guests who see this, it's actually very disconcerting for them. <laughs> and you have to make the crews understand that you can't do this anymore because we need a certain level of formality because that formality applies to a certain level of consistency of what they're used to around the world when they travel. And when right. they don't see that, um, it creates, uh, you know, a, a certain level of nervousness. Correct. And, How did you align people with that? Because that, that's a, a for an airline like WestJet, which I've flown many times as well. Yeah, that's a substantial shift. WestJet was very casual, um, and, and the approachability was was what you wanted. Versus Air Canada, its main domestic carrier was much more formal, uh, established. That's a pretty sizable shift in culture. It is. It's a huge shift in culture, and in both airlines, we did it. We did it differently. Um, at Hawaiian, we we basically brought everybody in and did cultural training specific to the destinations we were flying to uh, right. in Asia, because um, you know the the a big part of the Hawaiian uh, uh, culture is you know is, is really a strong. Uh, it's rooted strongly in this this kind of hosting um, uh, yep. background, and so we did the cultural training specific to destinations, and mm-hmm. from there um, worked out. You know, I mean, we probably don't have enough time today. We'd be talking about the details of how do you work all of that out. Um, but at WestJet, we took a bit of a different approach, and what we did at WestJet is we had. Um, we, we 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 had because of the working conditions. 
uh, the ability to um, select a group of employees who will be working on our, the new wide-body aircraft going to these international destinations. Right. And what we did is we pulled them out of the airline industry and provided them training um, from uh, the lead butler of a private boutique hotel uh, in Canada. So this butler heads the team of butlers that really it's, it's, it's a hotel that I believe has, I'm doing it from memory, but has maybe 23 rooms. And so it's a very specialized service. And we trained everybody with this butler. Uh, and we also teamed up with a hospitality uh, college. In this case, it was uh, SATE. Um, right. SATE happens to have their uh, culinary school is in the top 50 in the world. There's the number one in Canada. Mm. Um, so they have a high level of experience. But we basically took them out of the, the context so that, so that they could feel and learn about what is it, what is it like to offer five-star service. Um, and, and, and a simple thing that I learned there, which is, you know, you, one of the, you know, I, I keep making this mistake over and over <laughs> and over, is do not assume things. You can't right. assume at, at any level. In this case, um, one of the things that we, 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 we wanted to make sure that we weren't going to assume is the fact that everybody had experienced five-star service in their, in their personal lives. Um, if you have somebody who's going to be working uh, in a in a business class setting with guests that are paying tens of thousands of dollars for a ticket, uh, who are coming from all over the world, um, there has to be an emotional connection in terms of you know what you why you're doing the service a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. It can't be rational. If it's just rational, you're going to be a robot, and you're not going to be able to really kind of engage and have that just that you know that that um, genuineness in your service because you know as an aside eric one of the things and i'm going to probably uh, go completely off topic here <laughs> one of the things that i used to be very critical of about 10 years ago is that i found you, you could see in in the service industry and it was yep. very obvious in the airlines the airlines that focused on building service with their employees um, as opposed to um kind of going around them um, for whatever reason. That's and, really well said. Yeah. You know, and, and so what they, the, the, the airlines or the, or the hotels that would go around their employees, what they would do is invest on in hardware. And right. I always thought to myself, well, you're investing in the hardware because you're trying to distract the guests uh, from the soft side of the business because you know that you can deliver the hard side and you haven't invested on the soft side. Yep. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, and it's and you see those airlines that are that have the you know you don't see it as much today I believe as it you know it was pretty evident ten years ago, but you could see it. Um, in this case, we wanted to make sure that you know we were we were going to have these great airplanes. We we're going to have a great onboard product, um, and this is both at at Hawaiian and WestJet. But in WestJet in particular, it was critical for us to be able to uh, make certain that the guests had or the flight attendants had this additional training and really kind of had that connection uh, in terms of our guests' expectations. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously things that we started rolling things out, had a great launch, but with COVID, everything was obviously uh, slowed down. Uh, and, and um, you know, we're living in a completely different world today. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but, but the truth, but, but, but the application is still the same. Right. Um, so, but I think your, your point there is really interesting. And I've seen that miss too often. I was we're working with one of the largest, highest, highest end hotel chains in the world and with their contact centers. And just to give a, an example, th- that team member, I remember having a conversation with, with a team member in the call center and they said, they had never stayed at anything higher end than I think it was a holiday and um, yeah. whatever brand that, that was. And so they were, they were dealing with a particular guest who had stayed at this fairly high end hotel, $800 a night in, in downtown Chicago. And they said, Oh, I, I want to delight them. They were on a business trip. I, I gave them free parking. And, I, and my comment to them is it's probably not going to delight them because on a business trip, it's not the owner. Uh, it's expensive item to, to charge for parking. All you're doing is eroding margin. But in their mind, they were looking and say, why would I pay $80 for parking? Because they couldn't understand the guest experience and who they were, um, the, the persona of the person that they were really working towards uh, or yeah. for. So I think that was really phenomenal in terms of your example of putting somebody in a different environment to understand the guests they're trying to, 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 to work for. Well, and, and, it, and it's, it's, it's like anything else. I think that, um, you know, I had a former CEO who used to say this all the time, um, the, the, the issue is that when you've worked in an airline for uh, 20 years or so, um, as a product, you're not, you're, you get desensitized to it because you see it every day. Uh, mm-hmm. You do forget that, you know, most people will only travel on, on, will only fly, you know, two or three times a year. So every time they come to the airport, it's still a novelty for them and right. um, it's still a unique opportunity. And how do you really profit from that? Um, how do you, you know, and, you know, just to give you another little example, I used to say to, uh, to the crews, uh, at Hawaiian, um, and, 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 and this sounds, it, it, you know, kind of sounds crazy, but I used to say to them when it comes to service and this, this is, you know, mm-hmm. not, this is not in business class, but this was an economy. Um, I used to ask them to just walk through, make sure that they would walk through the cabin every 15 to 20 minutes and just have eye contact with the guests. You're not Mm -hmm. offering water. You're not doing any kind of service. You're just walking through the cabin. Um, Because what that does is creates a sense of um, reassurance. It creates a sense of engagement uh, presence within the cabin between the crew and the guests. And it's something that actually doesn't cost us anything, but has mm-hmm. a huge impact on our guest experience because you don't know the profile of those guests on board. You might have somebody who's a nervous flyer. You mm-hmm. might have somebody who um, is going through some kind of traumatic experience. Um, and that is something that just reassures them, um, you know, contrary to these flights that you've seen in the past where, you know, so the, the crews will come in, do the service and disappear and you won't see them, for, you know, uh, you know, for an hour or an hour and a half. And so, so, so to your point, Eric, it, it's not just the, it's not just, it's how do you, it's that connection. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things we did is, you know, often what I would do is to try to build a story in order to try to get people to understand or make that emotional connection with why we were doing something on board or on the ground or from a service perspective. Um, it was critical. Uh, and, and if you can't explain it through a story, um, and if you always say on the, you know, like we talked about the hard spec, but if you always, you always stay on the rational side, it's really tough. And that's why, I mean, one of the things that we haven't talked about, mm-hmm. probably one of the things I love the most is, you know, walking around the operation uh, right. as a leader. It, to me, that was so important because 
when you walk around, you know, at first it, it's, it's, it's this theme of vulnerability when, when people, and, and I have a union leader who taught me this very well. Mm-hmm. She said to me at one point, she goes, Louis, try, stop trying to fix things when you walk around. Okay. When people, when you, right. walk around, you listen to people, you go into fix mode. She goes, stop doing that. Just listen. Okay. <laughs> they just want you to listen. They don't want you yep. to necessarily fix things because guess what? It's simple. Yeah. Yep. They know you can't fix everything. So just listen and be visible. And, yep. and then when you start doing that, at first it's tough. You, and it takes vulnerability because you go into these situations where you don't know the answers. Uh, you don't know how to fix something. But after a while, the barriers start coming down. And you're able, through the dialogue of the employees, make the connections with what you're hearing at headquarters or what you're hearing from your managers. And there's, you know, you're able to then get a sense of the gap between the two. And that gap, when you kind of juxtapose that with what you're trying to do on board, whether it's with service, whether it's with, uh, you know, something that you're rolling out in the airport, um, you know, for a segmented group of, of guests, you're able to kind of put those the dots together to, be mm-hmm. able to know, you know, are you on track? Are you not on track? And clearly, I mean, that, that's kind of the very informal way of doing it. Right. Uh, because you have to obviously then check it with, you know, more formal things like your NPS score and, sure. and um, other tools that you have that, uh, you know, are more formal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, again, that, that's, that's another kind of critical part of uh, any kind of change process that you're doing. Uh, from from a, a service delivery perspective, because I don't know your experience, Eric, but one of the things I've always said is, you know, sometimes executives, our job was not to wreck the culture, you know, because right. we're not the ones who, you know, the culture is the culture, you know, like an airline Correct. will have its personality and hotel will have its personality. Mm-hmm. Our job is, is to be the stewards to try to make it easier and to nurture it and not to wreck it. Yeah. I, I, I love how you're explaining as well. Um, so, so I love what you're talking about. Uh, just listen, but you're also explaining like, so, so the story you shared about explain why you need to be in the cabin every, every few minutes and what you're trying to achieve. Um, I can contrast that with a lot of airlines who just have a hard spec that says show up and do a water service every 20 minutes. And, and generally that never happens. Um, right. people just disappear because they just think, Hey, you just want to work me uh, to the maximum, as opposed to what you're explaining is the why that's actually important. And it's not just passing through the cabin with water, it's connecting in some way with with people. So I love I love your comment there. Um, also love your comments around vulnerability. I think it it, it really explains uh, why I've always said you're, you're one of the top operational leaders I've ever met, is you always show up with a servant leadership side, uh, but also that comfort with a vulnerability, which is incredibly rare. Uh, most most executives want to, to struck look look at me look at me I'm 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 the smartest person but you're talking much more about listening to people helping people uh, and being comfortable ver- being vulnerable that you're you're human like anybody else yeah and, um, and the trick to that one Eric is very simple um, when you walk into work every day ask yourself a simple question do I have this job because of do I have this job because of what I did and because I deserve it or do I have mm-hmm. this job uh, or is this job a privilege, right? And and when you walk in every day and you say, this job's a privilege, you're going in with a different mindset than the entitlement mindset. The t- entitlement mindset, it doesn't matter whether you're a frontline employee or you're an executive, that mindset is 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 never, never works. 
I completely agree. Um, unfortunately, it's it's far too too frequent in corporate Canada and corporate America. So one of the things I'd love you uh, for you to share a little bit is uh, when I think about airline, the airline industry particularly, um, it, it would probably be um, similar as well on the marine side, but probably a little bit less stressful. Is operational irregularities happen all the time? It, it's almost part of the business case. Uh, you're going to have problems, whether it's snowstorms, thunderstorms, uh, mechanical issues. There's just so many potential points of failure in the system that you you essentially got to design an operation to withstand irregularities. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of airlines tend to create so much complexity that is, does really, really well when things are are peachy, but crumbles when uh, things are difficult. Any Any thoughts in terms of how do you create a great service experience that withstands those irregularities? I, I, I'll tell you, I mean, I think obviously the bigger you are, the harder it is. And um, so it's, it's, it's when you look at the uh, operational control centers for you know, airlines uh, like United and Delta and the, the amount of work and coordination, um, it's just unbelievable. I think the changes when you look at where we were as an airline, where the airlines were 10 years ago compared to today, I think um, there's been a significant improvement in terms of how things are done. Um, breaking it down, if you were to break it down to kind of a, you know, a smaller denominator, what I would do, my, my tendency was always when we grow, um, try to keep things, you know, get rid of the complexity. And mm-hmm. this is more, you know, um, I don't know, it's probably not as applicable to the, the, the kind of the big legacy airlines, but for anybody who's kind of medium size out there or small size out there, what I would suggest is that as you grow, you have to be very, very passionate about not adding complexity into your business. Uh-huh. Um, you should be doing the opposite uh, because when things do hit the fan, um, <laughs> things are more linear uh, in terms of trying to, um, to address them. The, the example also is, you're, you're, again, it's, 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 you know, you're either, you're either in a righteous circle or you're in a vicious circle and recognizing how you're doing that, uh, within your departments, uh, inside the airline. So to give you a, a very quick example, how your frontline employees communicate each other, um, and pass on information about specific guests and manage those expectations, uh, and, and how that is all connected as well to, how much flexibility you give them is really kind of the key ingredients to be able to manage irregular operations. Um, ha- when you do the handoff, you know, you can't have a culture where you're handing off uh, guests from one touch point to the other and just, you know, cleaning your hands of it. You know, one of the things that's critical is if you are faced with a problem with a guest, you have to see that problem through. You just don't push that guest off to somebody else. Right. Um, that's critical. Uh, but again, that's cultural. And again, that's that's a leadership. You know, it's, I think things like, like that really start with the leaders uh, who also have to have those same those same kind of behaviors. The other thing is the other thing sometimes it's, it's, it's the easiest. Sometimes it's the easiest things like just give people options, um, yeah. you know, and, and this is not, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody's heard this before. I mean, I use this technique. I use this technique with my kids. You know, I use this technique with (laughs) everybody around me. You know, I never, you know, what happens when you say to anybody, whether it's a guest or anybody in your life and you put them in a corner, you say, 
I'm putting, you know, here's the option. I'm not giving you an option. <laughs> People are going to fight back. Um, yeah. But when you say here's, you know, I, and let's use an ex- a very simple example. Um, you've got a couple who is going to Hawaii uh, and they, th- they, 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 they booked a business class. They thought they were going to get a life flat seat. Um, there's a mechanical on the airplane. And now they're going to be sitting in a regular business here, kind of your traditional, you know, seat, right. big seat. Um, there's a bunch of things that you can do there. Uh, you know, once they express disappointment, right, you could say to them, um, well, we, we, we could we could uh, rebook you um, on tomorrow right. flight or on a later flight where we will have a life flight seat and we'll happily um, do that for you and at no expense. Mm-hmm. Um, you could, uh, you, you know, reframe the entire scenario, which is, you know, congratulations, this is great. You're going on your on your wedding. You know, I think it's we're still we're we're still going to get you there on time. So focus on the fact that they're going to be in, in, uh, at their resort on time in Hawaii. Right. Unfortunately, this part isn't going to work. And then you try to do something special for them on board where maybe you give them a bottle of champagne or, you know, you, you recognize them some way. But there's sure. always a work around when you give people options. And mm-hmm. when you don't give them options, that I think people get really, really upset. And, and, and some airlines have done this exceptionally well because um, during irregular operations, you're seeing it now, especially with airlines that have the automated um, uh, rebooking tools where right. we will say to you, pick, pick your flight. You know, exactly. Pick your option. Pick pick your yep. hotel. And and that again, I think, you know, when you look at the evolution of uh, the guest experience in the airlines, um, you know, it's it clearly going in the right direction. Absolutely. Well, these are some phenomenal tips, uh, both from a leadership standpoint, but also in terms of customer experience. Louis, I've really enjoyed uh, this conversation and, and your insights uh, and really wish you continued incredible success in your career. You've done some pretty amazing things. Thanks, Eric. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I hope you a lot of success with your podcast. Thank you. Take care. All right. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the CX Guru on C-Suite Radio. Increase the value you create. Grow your brand. Drive your success. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Come back in two weeks for the next episode. Or listen to our sister show, The Ops Guru, with Eric McCroskey. Fuel your future. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.